What is this place? It's definitely not a Burger King, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, this guy looks like he spent an afternoon playing against Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus was the most frightening linebacker to ever play pro football. The way he tackled, he turned every stadium into a torture chamber. You know, I can actually feel Butkus' presence. Opposing teams try to stop him with offensive line, but what they really needed was an exorcist. So I guess what you're trying to say, Harry, is Dick Butkus was pretty scary, huh? Welcome to the underworld. I love America. It's been my home all my life. Ladies and gentlemen, the very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically, opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. In America, watch you and attract your every move. They're even putting poison in your food. In America, people occupy to see the truth. But it's too late, and there's nothing we can do. In America, just watch your favorite show and watch the news. So they can put your money with your news. In America, obey the law, support the truth. I love America. It's been my home all my life. If you don't know the past, you're only doomed to repeat it. Welcome to Public Access America. This is your history. This is your country. This is America. Join us in listening to some of history's America's best speeches. Created by Jarcodes Productions. Go back in time with us right now on Public Access America. Keep your eye on number 50 in the dark jersey. Down goes the runner. Dick takes the fun out of football for the opposition. Dick Butkus of Illinois. Butkus. The name carries a degree of courage and fortitude. Reflecting qualities that Dick Butkus developed as a youth growing up on the hard scrabble south side of Chicago. I lived down the street on 3rd and Low, which uh, we had a, a park. It was a dead-end uh, street. So I would go there and try to play with my brothers. And, of course, they would shoo me away, uh, being the youngest and smallest. And so uh, I just loved the game. Couldn't get enough of it. We had three older brothers, too, that all played football. And I think his older brothers probably picked on him uh, when he was growing up. And they probably got mean because of his older brothers. He understood that. Here's a sport that caters to my particular skill set. I'm, I'm an aggressive guy, I'm physical, I'm tough. I have all these things that are good for you I have to play football. Butkus attended Chicago Vocational High School, an uncompromising neighborhood institution that helped spawn the grit and tenacity that would come to define Butkus on the gridiron. I can only imagine what it was like going up against him in high school, man. okay, vocational? you probably get your head torn off. Butkus uh, really typified the, the neighborhood because he came and was kind of roughshod, but he had what it took in terms of football. I played against Dick in, in high school. He just had the total package. I mean, he was mean, uh, he, he was big, he was strong, and he was quick. I mean, you put all those things together, you got a pretty good linebacker. 
was a great, great, great high school player and a high school player that Illinois had to get. Bertie O'Brien, who was Butker's high school coach and a Notre Dame graduate, quickly spread the word about their star linebacking pupil. But for a school to secure Butker's commitment meant recruiting him and his high school sweetheart, Helen Essenart. Went to Notre Dame. The guy who took me around, I didn't particularly care for. And so we're getting near the end, and they just asked, you know, is there any more questions you have? And I said, well, I didn't see the marriage facilities, really. He said, oh, you don't get married here. And I said, oh, all right. Unwilling to leave the woman that he would eventually marry, Butkus placed a phone call to Champaign, Illinois. The next night, uh, I met with uh, Bill Taylor, our line coach at Illinois, and I asked him that question. He says, hey, we got brand-new facilities for marriage. Be you know, I says, cool. So that's when I went there, and, and my daughter went to Notre Dame, so they eventually got a buckets there. Notre Dame, they were rolling at the time, and they could come into Chicago and get just about anybody they wanted. And this was a very significant recruit that we got up. I'm glad, as I look back, uh, the way I did it, playing all, all levels of football in the same state and having my friends and family uh, being able to watch, uh, that, that, uh, that mean, meant a lot to me. Butkus enrolled at the University of Illinois in 1961, giving up the chance to play for powerhouse Notre Dame and electing to help revive a once-proud fighting Illini program led by new coach Pete Elliott. Wouldn't you want to take a team that maybe was nothing and, and, and make something out of them? Go to a, go to a great team where you're supposed to win. What, what, what is that? The arrival of Dick Butkus in Champaign set in motion the transformation of the Fighting Illini program, beginning with Butkus' very first practices. At that point, the practice field was encircled by uh, big oak trees. Dick uh, prepared himself for practice by running full force into each of the trees around the practice, and when, that, when practice came, he was ready. I can remember in the spring, um, we had a rainy, rainy day, and spring practice was canceled. And I'm standing by the locker with some other guys, and we're, we're pretty excited that it was canceled. And I hear an argument out in the hallway, and the argument was between Coach Taylor and Coach Elliott and Dick. And Dick was saying, how the heck do you think I, I can get better if I can't practice? But immediately, I started to sober up. I didn't want to see him see me being excited about canceling practice either. It was eat, sleep, and drink football. It was a perfect indication of when you see something uh, and you're so involved, uh, good things come out of it. I never saw a more dedicated football player in practice than Butkus. And he would not give me the time of day. Didn't give a hoot about publicity, just wanted to play football. Play football and play it off is exactly what Butkus did starting at middle linebacker and occasionally playing both ways for the Illini. Illinois in short yardage would bring him in as a center to be a, a blocker, and, and he, he probably would have been one of the all-time great centers if, if he had played that position. To play center allowed him to terrorize as an offensive player and as a defensive player. As a linebacker, he's ready to kill your quarterback, he's ready to kill your running back, physically offer, you know, deliver pain, 
and then you let him go play offense. And then when your defensive tackle thinks he's got a shot at your quarterback, well, then Dick's there saying, uh-uh, you're not going to do that. In his first varsity season as a sophomore, number 50 served notice that he was rewriting the book about the linebacker position. Illinois had a series of good linebackers for, for many, many years, but Dick was far and above the best of all. He was the first, I'd call him big backer. The first guy that played linebacker that was 240, 250 pounds. Probably 190, 195 pounds was a big back in those days. So here you got a guy 50 pounds bigger that arrived in a bad uh, <laughs> frame of mind. <laughs> Trying to run inside is a fatal mistake with Dick in the game. Here he is in the act of applying a crunching tackle to the ball carrier. A central ingredient in Butka's success was the tough, ferocious style he displayed between the hash marks. I've never seen a tougher football player than Dick Butkus. Do you know how many tough dogs in the country are named Butkus? I mean, it's the greatest name ever. Football's a contact game. You know, it's not a finesse game. It, it comes down between two men, a one-on-one, -on -one, and someone's going to win. And all too often, when you came in contact with a guy like that, you were going to lose. Craving contact, Butkus capitalized the word collision in the way he played the game. He thought every running back, every quarterback, anybody on the other side was his enemy, and he treated them as such. We wanted to hit people and, uh, and let them know that they were hit. Once he hit you, the job wasn't over. He planted you. He made you not want to come back his way again. He was so fierce. I think Paul Horning described it as he didn't tackle you, he consumed you. He approached the game of football as, you know, it's a war. I mean, I'm going to go out here and, and I'm going to beat you uh, and I'm going to show no mercy. We call this the goozle right here. And Dick Butkus put that face mask right in a running back's goozle. And I guarantee you, you'd start wanting to know where Dick was. <laughs> and he had, uh, there were a lot of games people knew where Dick Butkus was. Butkus terrorized opposing offenses, both physically and psychologically, very few centers slept well the night before they had to face him. Scary. Dick Butkus is scary. And I think he's, when you talk about great linebackers universally, you think you want that guy to be scary. And Dick is, Dick is frightening. Dick is a guy that people didn't want to go meet in the middle of the field. And there were times when Butkus would line up uh, over the center. He'd spit on the ball. Butkus would just spit on the ball and look at him and sneer. Uh, that was the kind of attitude and kind of intensity he brought to the game. There's this kind of Butkus face, just utter determination, I'm going to get you. That was Dick Butkus's life. Tackle the running back, tackle the quarterback, bring pain. Those are the things he did. I was down near the end zone when Illinois was on a goal line offensive stand, and Butkus played center. And I'll never forget, at that time, I said, this is the meanest, toughest man I think I've ever seen. At the time, he was just 21. He was a man. I'm fairly religious, but you don't have me sitting down there or kneeling down after a game praying with the guys I just tried to beat the hell out of. How can you turn it on and off uh, and be buddy-buddy with these guys? They can take my love of the game away from me uh, by you know, by an injury or hitting me a certain way or whatever, and I'm going to go pray with him? I don't think so. As a sophomore, Butkus and Illinois managed only two wins. But the word was out. 
the Fighting Illini had themselves a game changer in the middle of their defense. He was the guy who made helped them turn the corner. Uh, you, you need a leader on your team. You, know, you can have great talent, but if you don't have leadership, sometimes that, that uh, chemistry just doesn't come together. And Dick Butkus was the chemist on that team. We just felt that this is the start. Good things are going to happen here if we continue to work, and it happened. Following the disappointing two-win campaign in 1962, expectations for the Fighting Illini were muted at the dawn of the 1963 season. When Ohio State and others were dominating the Big Ten, it was this individual with a jersey number 50 that came in for Illinois in orange and blue and really put them in the spotlight for that, that special year. Butkus and the Illinois defense immediately served notice starting in the season opener against California. Cal came here and they had a, they had a quarterback by the name of Craig Morton and uh, who later was a, you know, a Dallas Cowboy and, and, and a Denver Bronco, but they, they shut Cal down 10 to nothing, which was a tremendous feat with a passing quarterback like that. They just did not allow points. Surrendering only 89 points in their first eight games, Illinois boasted a 6-1 and 1 record heading into a titanic tussle in East Lansing. They were favored, and I think Illinois went, went uh, to uh, East Lansing that day with a chip on their shoulder, and of course, the guy with the biggest chip on his shoulder was, was number 50. I'm going in to cover it as a newspaper man, and I'm in the air out of Chicago when the pilot makes the announcement that there has been a shooting involving the President of the United States in Dallas. They were en route to uh, East Lansing on the plane, and when they, when they arrived, the word came that the President had been assassinated, and then the decision was made that uh, the game would not be played, and Illinois climbed back on the plane, went home, and it was played on the following Thursday. With the nation still grieving over the assassination of President John F. Kennedy, Butkus and the Fighting Illini returned to East Lansing with the Big Ten title on the line. Michigan State at that point had a great running back named Sherman Lewis. He was this little water bug who jumped around and Michigan State was really depending on him you know, to carry the mail for them that day. But uh, number 50 wouldn't let him do that. We had a goal line stand in that game where Dick uh, made a stop from the one yard line that gave us the victory. And uh, I, I think that just kind of solidified his, his place in Illinois history right there. The 13-0 shutout of the Spartans clinched the Big Ten championship for Illinois and earned them an invitation to Pasadena on New Year's Day where the Fighting Illini would face the favored Washington Huskies. It was quite a, a big deal. I mean, it had been 11 years since Illinois had been to the Rose Bowl. Uh, it was a low-scoring game, uh, as a lot of Illinois games in that era were, because they played to the strength, which was their defense, and that's what Buckus led on. He went off sides on the first play, and they never felt the same about him the rest of that game, because he, 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 he hurts you when he hits you. Styla back to pass. He throws it. Butkus spearheaded an Illinois defense that allowed Washington only seven points, and Illinois won the Rose Bowl, 
for the first time since 1952. They got a lot of bad press about being a big and a fat team and not too good of a shape. And after they beat Washington, they, uh, led by Butkus, they actually took a lap around the Rose Bowl Stadium in celebration to show that they could play some more. He knows that he did great things as a person, as an individual, but it was what he did as a teammate, and it was what he did to lead that defense and that offense to get to Pasadena that was critical. That's the last Rose Bowl trophy Illinois has. Freshmen operated on the west side of the stadium. The varsity was on the east side. And the interesting part of it is that they would say, okay, we've got to send an offensive team. So they'd be gone like 45 minutes, we'd be working. You'd see them come back, you'd think you'd have sent them to Iraq. You know, I mean, they, if the helmets were twisted, people were talking about, we didn't want to go over there. I said, how come you didn't want to go over there? Well, Butkus is over on the other side. The relentless intensity of Dick Butkus shown again during his senior year of 1964. Number 50 was virtually unblockable, captaining a defense that allowed only 100 points in nine games as the Illini finished six and three. I remember uh, Woody Hayes telling the story over and over and over again that they were getting ready to play a very good Illinois team one time. And in an interview that week during getting ready to play, the Dick Bucket says, I love playing Ohio State. They run right at you. And uh, Coach Hayes said he looked and he said he's awful good. So they devised a new offense where they countered him on every play, you know, faked one way and went the other. And he said the only play that we ran on him was the last play of the game. We know we had the game when we ran right at him, and he made the tackle. <laughs> In 1964, Butkus was named the American Football Coaches Association Player of the Year and finished third in the Heisman Trophy voting. The injustice, uh, unless you're a Notre Dame fan, was in, in uh, 1964 when John Hewitt, who was a good quarterback, very good quarterback, won the Heisman and uh, Butkus finished third. And uh, that was proof enough for me that, that a guy that doesn't touch the ball isn't going to win the Heisman. He kind of created statistics. You didn't keep forced fumbles in those days. You didn't keep fumble recoveries in those days. Tackles were barely kept in those days, but, but because of the numbers that he racked up, he made it uh, a fashionable statistic. Modern day, put Dick Buckus with his senior year on the field right now and let everybody watch him every game. I tell you what, I got a Heisman ballot. It'd be hard not to put him number one. 21 years. After he last wore the orange and blue, Dick Butkus was honored in a more permanent way with the establishment of the Butkus Award that each year honors college football's top linebacker. When you talk to linebackers around the Big Ten every year, the one award that they would dearly love to win is the Butkus. That's, that's the trophy that every linebacker uh, wants to get their hands on because that epitomizes uh, that you have done the toughest of tough jobs in college football. That's my Heisman right there. Um, you know, of all the awards that I've won, to be called the best linebacker in the specialty of your craft um, and have Dick Buckus's name on it, that is, uh, that's a whole nother level. No Illinois player had won the Buckus Award until 1994 
when Dana Howard added his name to the great linebacking tradition of the Fighting Illini. Dick didn't know, I don't think, who the, who the winner was going to be. But the, when the winner became an Illinois football player accepting the Butkus Award, you could see a little twinkle in his eye. And uh, he, was, he was pretty proud of, uh, of his alma mater that night. One year after the creation of the Butkus Award, his number 50 was retired by the university, the only player other than the great Red Grange to earn that honor. This guy was uh, unbelievable what he did for pro football in Illinois. And, you know, having my number retired along with his as being the only two in Illinois is, is quite an honor. Red's pretty darn special. And I think University of Illinois is very, very, you know, uh, fortunate to call him our guy. And you get around to Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus represents what football is all about. But you're talking about two people that I think, when you mention the word football, you can identify their names immediately. Butkus. The name still echoes throughout Memorial Stadium in Champaign. Almost a half century later, the no-nonsense guy from the south side of Chicago remains the benchmark for linebackers in the Big Ten and for football, period. That legacy lives on today, and there's a lot of young guys that grow up in the state of Illinois or, or follow Illinois football that want to be, if they can, the next Dick Butkus. Even the kids that we recruit today, uh, we'll have Dick come back and talk to the squad. He's an awesome guy. I mean, you can just tell that uh, everything about him personifies linebacker. Football was mighty good to me, and to step away and just discard it, uh, and know that you can maybe help somebody and you don't, or your university and you don't, uh, that's kind of selfish in my mind. He created a, a standard of excellence that many have tried to achieve, but I don't think anybody's ever gotten there. Even the guys that won the Butkus weren't as good as Butkus, and no one will ever be as good as Butkus at Illinois. Frankly, no one will ever be as good as Butkus anywhere. I get into arguments, big arguments with the younger generation who tell me that this speed and these guys named Lawrence Taylor much faster than Butkus and better linebackers and I say no way no how Mr. Butkus contemplating buying the all new Cutlass Supreme but of course Mr. Nitschke outside simply stunning and inside très chic front wheel drive for exquisite handling and Motor Trend made it their winner in styling and design. Drive the all-new Cutlass Supreme at your old reliables. It's the car created for a person with taste. That leaves you out, Butkus. Mr. Butkus. Bert Anderson, who played with Hallis, was our defensive line coach. And he told me that week or a week before that that he got a telegram from the Bears like saying that I how I slowed down, you know, on pass defense and I mean, and he didn't think of you know keeping it or showing me. He just told me about it. So I said, why we? And then when he said, oh, we're going to go visit the Bears, I'm like, well, why? They sent this telegram. I mean, surely Bert wouldn't lie about it when he played with Hallis. I said, well, we'll clear that up. Well, okay. So we go over there, and there was. Hellas, Muggsy, and George Allen. 
And so we go in and, uh, well, just clear something up. First of all, uh, you know, Dick claims that there was a telegram sent to the university to Bert Ingerson, a guy named Coach Bert Ingerson, and the old man, yeah. And uh, Dick wants to know why, why we're here, because it was kind of like a derogatory uh, telegram. The attorney says, well, why don't we get, why don't you check and get it and let's clear this up, you know, to clear my, Dick's mind about it. You know, and the old man says, yeah, George, and Muggsy says, yeah, George, go get, go get the telegram, I'll straighten this up right now. And so he leaves the room and the old man says, oh, I'm sure that was a mix up or whatever. We sent it out to everybody. So Alan comes back in and he said, uh, guess what? They lost that one, that one telegram. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> oh, okay. Sure enough, it was drafted by the Bears for unknown reasons, you know, how unusual. Well, uh, I'll tell you about the time that I thought he was going to take a poke at me because I went in there at the end of the year because I was there to pick up my mail and stuff. And I said, uh, you know, uh, Coach, I don't think you really want to win here. And he got up, he stood up and leaned, you know, put his hands on the table. I went, oh, he said, what do you mean by that? You know, and I said, I don't think you really want to win here. He says, what are you talking about? I says, listen, you almost, in fact, started this league 50 years ago. Who's in the Super Bowl now? He said, I think it was uh, Miami and uh, Dallas or something. I said, yeah, two expansion teams. You started this all, and here we are watching some of these new teams in the Super Bowl. So he sat back down, and I said, who, who are we going to get? And, you know, I said, when we get them, you'll know. <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> what happened, the AFL was offering, and, and the NFL, started offering no-cut contracts. Problem was, a lot of the guys that they signed really didn't pan out. And given these no-cut contracts, they stopped that. So after the first couple of years, they said, "No, here, here's what we're going to do. We're going to oh, we're going to give you a no-cut contract, three-year no-cut contract. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Here's three contracts. Sign up. <laughs> <laughs> and that last paragraph is like, you know, you don't play, you're, right. you're through. So, but on my contract, it was one document in the first was five years, the first contract. And uh, I was lucky. He, he put in a real no-cut clause. Yeah, I remember, uh, you know, because I was on, a, on some of those, well, all the special teams except kickoff team at that time. And, uh, you know, that's, that was the last thing I used to say in the huddle, man. You know, everybody make two blocks. If just a couple of us make two blocks, the guy's gone. And... Uh, and it just this so happened. That's what happened. I, I often kid Dave Wilcox from the from the 49ers. He says, man, he, says, he just shook his head about the, the performance. And I said, you know, the funny thing about it, he, said, he should have scored another one. Hallis took him out on the two-yard line and put John Arnett in there for a, for a gimme touchdown. It would have been his seventh. He should have had seven. Mr. Bootkiss and I have a problem. I do not appreciate American football. And I don't appreciate rugby. However, there is one thing we both appreciate. Light beer from Miller. Light contains a third less calories than their regular beer. 
It's also less filling, but our favorite thing is the way it tastes. Quite right, Dickie boy. I never like your football, but I do love your light beer. Mike, I'll never like rugby, but I do love those cute little shorts. <laughs> light beer from Miller. Everything you always wanted in a beer. I remember less. walking up to the line of scrimmage, and I looked to the left and started calling a signal, and looked to the right and started calling the rest of the signal, and I looked straight ahead. Here's the man that you fear most in football staring you right in the face. What he said to me, I can't repeat, the sensors would have a ball. And immediately my voice kind of quivered and started cracking. He was the greatest intimidator that ever played football. I don't know how good a football player he was. He scared the hell out of people long. He told me he was going to kick my, you know what, <laughs> the first time I ever played against him a rookie year. Dick was, was an animal. I called him a maniac, a stone maniac. He's the kind of linebacker that when he hit our backs, our back would go back in the huddle, he'd be talking out his ear hole. He'd want to know who was supposed to block that crazy sucker. Before you could begin to try to block on Dick, you had to overcome the mystique. And um, he didn't appreciate this, but I said it was almost like an odor. He exuded a kind of a presence. He tried to hurt you. You know, he was just so competitive. You know, not only did he not want you to gain a yard, he didn't want you to gain an inch. He had to hit you, pick you up, drive you, and grind you into the ground. He knocked out L.C. Greenwood on a, on a punt. I remember, and he knocked out Warren Banks, and he was a fullback, backup fullback. We had a good special teams player. And I remember Warren standing on the sideline crazes. I don't know who I am. Because Buck is a blind side and just chaos. For Dick to run a 100-yard dash, it'd take him three days. He's basically a pain in the ass. You know, again, I know him, and uh, uh, he's got a personality like a fried lobster. It was horrifying playing against him because he can intimidate literally an entire offensive team, and I mean good teams. We had a rookie center uh, that was playing against him for the first time. And, of course, you remember Buckus grunted a lot and growled a lot when he was backing up the line. And we sent this rookie center in to, to play for us, and the first time he came off, his eyes were about like this. He, he couldn't believe what he was hearing from Buckus. Buckus had him intimidated. He hadn't even blocked him yet. Buckus dominated a game the way no other player ever has. He dominated officials. He'd take the ball away from the guy after the play and shake it in the official's face, and the official would point it their way. It was awesome. I was working, and Butkus came up to me, and he started to wave his finger at me. I sort of smiled at him, and I said, Butkus? I said, don't wave your finger at me. I said, I'll bite your head off. He looked at me and said, well, if you bite my head off, you'll have more brains in your stomach than you will have in your head. Well, the only thing I can say about the great Dick Butkus, I'll say it in a, in a, in a poem. Roses are red and violets are blue. If you've got any sense, you'll keep Butkus away from you. People always ask me the difference to compare Butkus with, with Nobis, for example. And uh, the best way to do that, I guess, is to say that Nobis was a man who walked like a bear, and Butkus was a bear who walked like a man. He was uh, the most unique defensive player that I ever saw come into professional football. The first year that he began to play, he began to do things to runners that no one had ever done before. The ball would snap, and if he was pursuing, I mean, every word was a cuss word, man. He was growling, let me at him, you know, boy. He was talking all the time out there. He raised more hell on the field and got away with more stuff than any player I ever played against. He'd jump right up over the center and just scream and holler and everything else, and every once in a while he'd go, Whoa! and put a big honker right on the football, right? He'd spit on Tinglehoff's hands or something, you know, and Tinglehoff would be snapping that ball back up to Fran, and he'd be getting a greaser. 
nice sunshiny bright day and we were playing and we'd scored a touchdown and I got up and and the center you know puts his hands on the ball and then he looks between his legs to the holder and all of a sudden I I, I thought he had a downpour out there you know and in uh, a nice clear day and I look up and there's Butkus spitting all over my hands. Here we go Andy. Shift 44 to a 56 stack pow. Watch the play action. Let's go. It's illegal for a middle linebacker or a single caller to say hut. They can talk and call defensive signals and that. But Dick didn't understand that rule. And uh, he's always saying hut, hut. And, uh, and the ref would warn him. And he said, that's my signal to my linebacker, which is bull****. They don't have any signal like that. He's talking all the time and he and uh, um, laughing and, and carrying on and try to get you in a conversation and and uh, to disrupt your game is what he's doing. I got a letter supposedly from a doctor I think uh, uh, from somewhere and I don't know wherever but he, he just claimed that if this is the way football is going to be played or something I'm not going to let my kid play it or whatever and uh, and, he, and he signed his name and everything else so I wrote back to him and I says well you know something uh, you doctors, I think I'm going to discourage my wife from watching uh, the, the soaps during the daytime because, boy, you know, you guys are having affairs with the nurses and the patients and everything else, and I just don't want to subject my wife to this because uh, if this is what you guys portray, I don't think it's a very good uh, thing to have my wife watching you like this. He was not the type of guy that you say, we're going to get this loud mouth. No, no, you didn't do that. But before you played him, uh, the first thing you said uh, on your offensive game plan is, hey, how are we going to handle Buckus? And even though he had an intimidating way about him, he also had a way of being in the right place at the right time. He was there many times before the blockers were ready and did a lot of what he did, not only because of the physical attributes, but I think he had a great instinct. He was one of the most instinctive football players I think uh, I've seen on the other side. I would just look into the huddle and uh, and read their lips or whatever because uh, like Joe Cap, you could hear the play, and every quarterback would say, you know, okay, red, right, uh, forty-eight, uh, sweep on two, make sure everybody heard it, including us. He couldn't play, but we killed him anyway, you know. And he was screaming at me, saying, "You, you can blank this out, one, you man, so you, you son of a." He said, you cheap shot. The whole game, he's yelling at me. I just laugh. I'd go out and I'd cut him, you know, I'd blindside him next. I'd, I'd go looking for him. I was going out of my way. I almost get called flags because I wanted to kill him, you know. I still didn't have any pity on him. But the son of a still won the game for him. Butkus is synonymous with uh, football. It's synonymous with uh, hitting, contact, aggressiveness. Uh, uh, he's the best who ever played the position. Dick Butkus the greatest football player I ever saw. I'm convinced he's the greatest football player that ever lived.